Hello and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Ayesha Kai, Managing Editor of The Glow Up, and today we're speaking with breakout author Nathan Harris. Nathan's debut novel, The Sweetness of Water, has achieved a level of success most new authors only dream of. It was an instant New York Times bestseller, an Oprah's book club pick, and was also named on Barack Obama's summer 2021 reading list. It's also since been nominated for multiple literary awards, including the Man Booker Prize and the 2022 Carnegie Medal for Excellence, and has been named the best book of the year by The Washington Post. All of this has happened for Nathan at only 29, too, and I can see why. This book is a stunning feat, telling a rich story of both formerly enslaved people and Confederate soldiers at the tail end of the Civil War. It is evocative and complex, and it was an honor to get to talk to this brilliant young author about how he came up with this story and why he felt so compelled to focus on this particular time in history. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Nathan Harris. Nathan, welcome to It's Lit. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Um, I am really excited to dig into the sweetness of water with you. Uh, you know, I, I fascinating is the word that comes to mind for me <laughs> with this book. Um, I, w- I was fascinated by it, and I'm, I'm really uh, excited to hear what inspired it. And, you know, it's a very rich book. Uh, but before we get into that, we do have a little tradition here at It's Lit, uh, you know, because this is a podcast about Black writers, Black books, Black thoughts. Uh, we always like to ask our guests, was there a book or books that for you was a game changer or fundamental in, in terms of making you believe that you could write or want to write? Like, what would, what would be that book or books for you? You know, one of the biggest inspirations for this book and for me in general was uh, the Known World by Edward P. Jones, mm-hmm. one of my, my favorite novels. Um, and it just it, it just sort of showed me how you can, I don't know, uh, shine a light on the past, shine a light on a part of history that's kind of been um, obscured or hasn't been heard of. Um, in that case, it was Black people owning slaves. Um, I had never heard of that. And um, I just felt truly transported to that time period and that place. And um, it just kind of showed me what was possible. And it made me want to do it, too. So uh, <laughs> I, I always count him as a, as a big inspiration earlier in my career, my short career. Well, you know, you are the first to, to cite him. So that's actually kind of exciting. Uh, I also love that book. And it dovetails so nicely, with, obviously, with your work. You know, I think this is a book that if you had told me the synopsis of this, I'd be like, wow, that is ambitious, but you accomplished this. And it's, you know, it is garnering acclaim. And I think rightly so, because it, it, it is doing exactly what you just discussed. It, it is shining a light. You know, we, we talk a lot about like, you know, slavery narratives, et cetera, et cetera. And you are centering this narrative in this, you know, initial pocket of, I guess, you know, reconstruction, right? This like post-slavery narrative and this unlikely friendship that uh, arises. So what, what was the inspiration here for that? Hmm. I mean, on, on one level, I had just, I hadn't read that book. I hadn't read the book that was dealing with those immediate days after slavery. And 
you know, I, I am a big believer that empathy is what drives fiction in many ways. And it's so important to put yourself in the shoes of, of others. And I, I just, again, I had never heard somebody embody these voices and consider what it would be like leaving the plantation and just thinking about, oh my God, what comes next? You know, and I, I always related to much more minor uh, circumstances. I don't know, you know, heading off to college or like, you know, you've got a job at a steel mill for 40 years and all of a sudden you've lost your job and you don't know, you don't know what your identity is. You know, we all have those moments and this is that just multiplied to such a degree um, to spend your whole life in bondage, enslaved and to have every waking hour and waking minute decided for you. And then all of a sudden you can do as you please in the world. I mean, just on a level of, of creating stories and creating characters, I wanted to, um, I just wanted to put that on the page. I wanted to, I wanted to dig into that. So that was what I was trying to do. And really, you know, and I, I love that you did that. Cause I do think that that is always the question. Or It's definitely been a question for me. Like what, what does happen when you are released from bondage, but you're released with nothing? I mean, what we know is that obviously so many of those who were enslaved ended up being sharecroppers, you know, which was just another version of, of slavery. But, you know, you have crafted here something where these two men are really exploring what it means to be free, you know, so much so that they are initially reluctant to even accept an opportunity from from a white man um and and you know you just referred to to empathy and and that is so so much a part of this story i think and i think that that's what's so striking i think that i would hazard a guess that that's what so many people are responding to in it is this deep cord of empathy that you've created through these central characters um who again you know it's it's such an unlikely kind of interaction. <laughs> um, and you also, you know, you also do something I think is, is um, admirable. And, and I think speaks to, speaks to black consciousness in general, which is that, you know, you aren't just centering the black characters. You're also centering several white characters. And in reading this book, it reminded me very much about how, <laughs> how we are so attuned to white culture as the so-called norm, right? That it is possible for us to to do that, right? And I don't know if that, I wonder if, I don't know that that would have worked the other way around, but I guess why, why was that important to you to kind of like have this ensemble of characters interacting in this way? It's hmm. a good question. I, I think of the novel, I like to call it a communal novel. Um, I don't know if I made that up or <laughs> there, but I know I, I, it, it's, it's the town of old dogs. It's about what all these people are going through. And part of my ambition and part of what I was trying to capture was that there were just so many perspectives and so much emotional turmoil from those who had been enslaved to those who had owned slaves to everybody in between um, in this town from the most treacherous villainous people to to the best people and all of their voices were necessary to you know render this town as real i think to the reader and i wanted to get as as many as many voices on the page as possible so i don't know it was just part of the task i i set for myself now this is this is your first book and i think it's really important that we note that because 
we've seen, I mean, this is, I think you are part of a wave of writers that we've seen in the last couple of years who have done such tremendous work with their first novels. And it's, it's very exciting to see. Um, how long was this kind of gestating for you? Oh man, it was about, about two and a half years of, of actual writing. And before that, probably a year of just being afraid. <laughs> you know, but like I said, I mean, at, at some point I just, I just decided that, you know, if nobody else is going to do it, you have to do it. So I, I started in on it and I finished the first chapter or two when I was finishing my, my senior year at the University of Oregon. And uh, I had a teacher there who told me that uh, I should keep going. So I kept going and uh, eventually, I, eventually I got it done. Yeah, you got it done. You're Oprah approved, which is never a small thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's, what, and, and, and long listed for the Booker Prize. I mean, you know, you, this is, I mean, a lot has happened. Like, how has this experience been for you? I mean, obviously you had a story that you wanted to tell. And I personally don't think there's anything wrong with thinking, hey, I want to tell a story and tell it really well. And I want people to read it. And I want, you know, people to recognize this thing. But I can also imagine that it's tremendously overwhelming to to have that kind of response right out of the gate. So how has that been for you? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's been it's been draining, draining on some level. You know, you you write the book by yourself and you're in your own little world. And then all of a sudden you have uh countless people who are part of that world and they are experiencing it for the first time. And it's truly surreal. It's wild. And, um, you know, you're just talking to so many people you thought you would never talk to. And, you know, it, it's, it's for somebody like myself, you know, mostly an introvert, you know, so many writers are, it's, it's this weird um, element to being successful that all of a sudden you're, you're facing the public. Um, and so it, it has been, um, it has been a lot for me, but I, I can't complain. You know, this is exactly what I wanted. You know, I wanted as many readers as possible, and I'm not going to try, you know, try to shy away from that. So I'm, I'm just, at the end of the day, I'm blessed and I'm grateful. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I mean, I love that honesty because I think so often, you know, we I think so often we're acculturated to not admit that we want praise, right? We want attention, mm -hmm. we want all that kind of stuff, and we want to engage on a certain level. And I but I also do really respect the vulnerability in that and 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 that exposure because I think I think it is a lot. You know, I mean, another thought that occurred to me while reading this book, you know, um, and, and you referred to it when you were talking about creating this world of these characters. And needing them to be multidimensional. And obviously, this is a predominantly white town. And it 
for some reason got me thinking, probably because I write for The Root, I work, I, I work there every day, you know, we, we encounter all kinds of responses to our work. Uh-huh. Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like, not all white people. this idea that you know when we think about the post-civil war era it's like i mean we we are so intent upon or i think for a long time it was very much taught as a very like north and south thing as if there were no racists in the north and as if everybody in the south was horrible right and you are kind of giving us this alternative view on on this situation and even a tremendous amount of growth that happens in these characters as they have to kind of like, as they're forced to kind of confront, I mean, to get, to use a more contemporary term to confront bias. Right. Mm-hmm. And to, and to figure out how they're going to navigate that, whether they just kind of like shut down and go on autopilot or whether they allow themselves to kind of stretch and expand. Was that a message that you were intentionally trying to send at the onset of writing this book or was it something that evolved as you were writing it? Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was something that, yeah, I was thinking about too, and people, again, have, have brought up. But just all of these characters, yeah, are, are going through this this evolution, and there is something about, I don't know, the, the relationship between the brothers and George. And people almost, they want to dislike George. He's, for people who haven't read it, the uh, northerner who now lives in the South, who doesn't play along the, the general stereotypes of what Southern man should be. And yeah, I, I do think people are resistant to their relationship. But to me, it was like there was no reason this couldn't have happened. And it's really a matter of me doing my job to make it real and to make people care about George, but also to not shy away from the very real issue that he is leaning into his white privilege and his his um where he is in this town his his class and what he's able to do his agency to um use them in a way and it's not on purpose you know he's grieving the loss of his son who died in the war um but it leads to consequences that he could never have foresaw and um so i just i don't know i it's it's a it's a complicated dynamic but i was just doing my best to capture all the elements of it and um what could have happened and what happened in my mind when I was coming up. With it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you do this, I mean, you know, I don't want to spoil too much because I think people should read this book, but you do this interesting flipping of the script too, where you, you, you do kind of turn the fugitive narrative on its head a bit as well, which I found really interesting. You know, when you look into narratives, you know, that we're all familiar with, whether you're talking about, you know, a Frederick Douglass or a Harriet Tubman or, Harriet Beecher Stowe's, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin, like those kind of, those fugitive narratives uh, that we're so accustomed to. I thought it was really interesting the way you kind of changed that uh, for us, uh, changed that perspective, that lens on that. Um, I also, you know, I mean, I have to ask, and I think you kind of hinted at it, you know, as you talked about people don't want to like George. Do you, did uh-huh. you, were you at all concerned or did you get any pushback about potentially leaning into some sort of like white savior narrative with this, <laughs> with this book. You know? I, I mean, in my own, in my own head more than anyone else. Oh, wow. Okay. I yeah. think people who are reading it, uh, you know, they almost think it didn't even come to mind. I mean, it was on my mind on every page I was writing, you know, it was always there, but I think any, um, 
somewhat generous reader. I like I like to hope would again see by where the novel ends up and what takes place and what happens to these characters that there is um whatever element of the white savior there is in George, it, it leads to no no good thing. And you know I George is a, a a prickly guy. He has his good part and his bad parts, but you know when I look at him He's just—he's just more complicated than that to me than just saying that he's a white savior. Because I just think most of the time he's acting selfishly, and most of the time all of us are acting selfishly. And it just so happens um, his selfish behavior makes him—I mean—help them at points. But um, that—that's only one one facet of um, a very what again what I like to hope for is a textured textured story with many many elements to it. Yeah, well, for the record, I didn't consider him a white savior. But, <laughs> but, but it's part of the conversation. It's an important but it is, part of the it is. It is a dynamic, obviously, that we've seen play out. And sometimes people kind of make that presumption whenever you place, you know, characters in this particular juxtaposition. Because as you said, like this is especially in this situation where even if he had been poor, you know, it's like yeah. his privilege is there. You're literally right there at the end of, uh, of slavery. I also, you know, I, I think this is such a human narrative and I, I really, I think the humanity of each of these characters is, is really something that writers <laughs> should, should really engage with and appreciate. Cause I think you really, uh, did something masterful there with that. But I also, Hey, I'm a woman. And I, I really appreciated the way you wrote the women here. <laughs> I thought it was really, <laughs> you know, I was really kind of like taken. Um, I think I might've been, I think I might have been even more taken with the women in this book than I was with the male characters. I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting because you really kind of have two different stories going on concurrently. And, uh, yeah, I mean, how was that? How was that process of, of kind of writing in that female voice? And I mean, was there any difference for you or did it just kind of flow organically? No, it's always difficult. Honestly, they were all difficult. I wanted to, you know, just coming up with characters in general, it's, you know, I'll just sit in my room or I'll pace around my room just thinking about who is this person? What are they thinking? Where do they come from? And again, it, it goes back to the, that sense of empathy. And, you know, I'm I'm in all these characters, but the people around me are also in them. I talk about how I, I see in Isabel, my mom, you know, and, um, you know, what she went through, she was in a sense, uh, reading from her divorce, deciding what to do with the rest of her life. And she was having a, you know, a sort of crisis. And I don't know, I, she came, she came through it in this beautiful way. And she was such a, I don't know, a role model to me about how you can overcome so much. And I guess in Isabel, I saw part of that too. So, you know, yeah, you just kind of pick and choose these parts of, um, of, you know, the people around you and who you are and just, I don't know, being human. And you try to, um, you know, reflect that as much as possible in a real way on the page. I think that's a beautiful answer. Uh, (laughs) And what a beautiful tribute to your mother. You also, you know, I talk about this a lot. I referred to Creating Worlds uh, a little bit ago. And I've talked about this with some of our writers who write fantasy, for instance. But you really were also creating a world here that 
or in some senses, recreating a world here. And I know that, you know, you sat with this for a couple of years, but, you know, we hear about people taking like, you know, 12, 20 years to, to finish a book. And I can only imagine the amount of research that you also had to put in this. Like, what was that process like and, and what kind of guided you through it? Well, going back to Edward P. Jones, I, I love to tell the story about how, you know, and again, this might be apocryphal, but I swear I read it. How um, while he was, uh, you know, he worked for, I think, 12 years doing research, something like that. Is this inordinate amount of time? And then in order to start the book, he had to throw it all away. And he just decided that I've learned enough. I cannot be entirely faithful to every single page of research I've done. I need to create this story and I need to create these characters. And you know, in a, in a sense, I just kind of took his lead. So it was like, you have to do justice to the past, I think. And you need to, um, I mean, readers aren't dumb. You need to make it you know, real to them. But at the same time, I had to be also faithful to the story I wanted to tell and what I was coming up with. So it's, it's a balancing act, you know, and at the end of the day, readers... You know, they don't really care that much about the what sort of guilt buttons they had on the <laughs> jackets back then, you know? It's about the mood. It's about the atmosphere. It's about capturing that moment in time as opposed to the specific. So, I don't know. I, I kind of gave myself something of a, you know, a, a sense of, of freedom and just sort of going wherever the story took me while still trying to, you know, keep that sense of of. Uh, the past alive and what it was really like. Well, I mean, I think that our writers who listen to this podcast are really going to appreciate <laughs> some of that insight because I think, I, I, you know, we, we talk a lot about stories, but we also like to talk about process here. I do think it's important that we share that because you know, how, how does that sausage get made before it hits your bookshelf? Right? <laughs> you know, um, you know, and with that in mind, you know, obviously your career is off to a tremendous start. Um, are you already on to the next thing? Are you already working on the next thing? Are you taking a minute, a beat to kind of collect yourself and absorb no. it all? <laughs> I don't really know how to do that. I'm one of those, I'm one of those people who has to get, I mean, this is all I have, you know, growing up, I was terrible at science. I was terrible at math, but I just, oh, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think there's a lot of us out there, you know? So bro, I just, Writing was always my thing, and I, I don't do it, you know, as a job I do because I love it. So I don't care if it's a short story or the next book or whatever it is. I, I got to get up and write something. Sometimes I, I, sometimes in a sense, I hate doing it. You know, I tell them I don't, I don't want to go sit there. I don't want to do it, but it feels like a part of me is, is lost if I'm not, if I'm not working on, on a story. It feels like it's my one contribution to the world, I guess. So I got to do it. Um, that's the that's the long answer to say yes. I am I am continuing to work on on new stuff. Hopefully, it can uh, it will one day be done and share with the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I won't ask you to spoil it, but I you know I really appreciate you coming and sharing this journey thus far with us here on the podcast and and sharing the sweetness of water with the world because I think I do think this is a really interesting narrative and like I said, fascinating that. Yes, to your point, touching on party history, we don't we don't really have a lot of of context on. So thank you for uh, envisioning that for us, and thank you for coming on. It's lit today.
Thank you so much. Yeah, this is it's a dream come true having having the book come out and just getting to talk to people like you about it. You know, so I'm very glad I got to be here and uh, I enjoyed it very much. So thank you. there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Rupert Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Our theme song was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out, and we appreciate your feedback so much. Now, if you have any thoughts or feedback, you can always find me on Twitter at Maisha, that's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A, and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently into and usually what we're currently reading. But since we are in the season of giving, I've got a gift for you guys to look into. This is so good. I I love this so much. This is called Bibliophile Diverse Spines. It's by Jamise Harper and Jane Mount. This is such a cool book. This is a guide to help you diversify your bookshelves. And if you're anything like me, you're always looking for new content, new authors, You know, and this has new and classic authors alike from all over the world. Um, And I just think it's such a cool gift. Even cooler, it comes with, you know, you can you can purchase a reader's journal that it comes with. Uh, There's a note card set. So this is like a full on perfect gift for anybody in your life who loves books as much as I know you do and as much as I do. So that's what I'm into right now. And that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And we will see you next week. Until then, keep it lit.